Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Riley's nature is the question. Second and one at the 29. And they'll throw it back to Rattler. Rattler off his back foot down the field. Caught. And this is Mims. A little trickery here. It was the 50th anniversary of the game of the century. Oklahoma escapes Nebraska 23 to 16. Sooner fans, uh, it just depends on where you are, man. You're preparing for battle. You're riding or dying with this team or you're up in arms. You want Caleb Williams. You want Lincoln Riley. I mean, it's serious. You want Lincoln Riley fired. There's that group of people out there uh, calling for heads to roll for a team that's number four in the nation, 3-0 and on the season. Keep in mind, we didn't make it to 3-0 and in 2020. Uh, but you're 3-0 now. Conference play is uh, knocking at your door. The upstart West Virginia Mountaineers getting ready to come to Norman. And fans, Rich, are not happy. They're not. Is that, is that are, are you, are, are I you mean, asking I don't, me to I don't, I don't like, know give some say. feedback here? I, mean, because, I, Matt, dude, I, I, I will tell you this. Nebraska <laughs> fans in the stadium on Saturday were more pleased with losing than Oklahoma fans were with winning. It's just that's where we are right now. I'm going to give you my quick sentiments on this and it's, it's very simple for me. And it's that I'm going to disagree with the majority of the individuals um, and the outcry that I've heard. And that'll be for various reasons, which we'll discuss a little bit later in this podcast. I get, and this is a general statement about the offense and the defense. I get some of the complaints about the offense, Um, I'm not going to agree with a lot of them, but I get where they're coming from. The defense was the one thing that I heard the most complaints about though, despite only scoring 23 points in that game with Spencer Rattler as the quarterback. And what was touted as one of the best wide receiving groups in the, in the conference, needless to say, I, I, like I said, will agree with some of them, not all of them. But the defense for me, I think I'm going to take a completely different approach than what a lot of people are expecting tonight. The defense held Nebraska to 16 points. The the defense held Nebraska to less than 100 yards rushing. The defense only gave out three points in the entire first half. If you got problems with the defense, I'm just going to say that. If you got problems with the defense, you're always going to find a problem with something. I mean, you're, I mean there was a guy near me in the stadium on Saturday – I just, my, my wife even said this, just want to turn around and say, why are you even here? <laughs> why, if you're so miserable, why are you even here? But that said, there are things that you can nitpick with this team. There are things that you can say, I'm concerned about this. There are things that you can say they got, they, they got to get fixed. And, uh, but at the end of the day, you got an Oklahoma football team that is three and oh, they're number four nationally. The latest polls come out. Oklahoma drops down for the third week in a row. They're in a different position than they were the week before. And really, Rich, I think this has more to do with Oregon and their upstart than it does with, with really the way Oklahoma's played. Now, Oklahoma did not look good against Tulane. They didn't look spectacular against Nebraska, but they won those games. But the reality is Oregon 
has a win over Ohio State on the road in the horseshoe, and then they're they're three and zero as well. I, you just look at resume alone. Mm-hmm. You would have to say, as much as I'd like to bag on the Pac-12, just looking at resume alone, I can't make an argument for Oregon to be behind Oklahoma at this point. Yeah, resume alone, I think Alabama gets a good win this weekend as well, playing in the swamp against the Florida Gators. I disagree with that. I mean, I I understand what you're saying, but I disagree with that. That was not a good win for Alabama. Why? I mean, because they should be – that is not a great Florida team. That Florida team's ranked number 11 right now. They were, I think, number nine when Alabama, Alabama beat them. But that was every, everybody who's mad at Oklahoma for kind of letting their foot off the gas, for checking out mentally. Alabama did the exact same thing. Now, Alabama did it on the road is what you're saying. Oklahoma did it at home in Norman. But Alabama had that game put away to the same tune, even worse, than Oklahoma had Tulane put away and let Florida creep back into it where they were actually – they were actually a two point conversion away from being tied up that, that, that if it's not a good look for Oklahoma, it's definitely not a good look for Alabama either. Hey, I'm just solely looking at resumes, Matt. And that's a win over a ranked opponent for Alabama. Oregon has the best win of the season for me of any team in the country. And if we were, this is where I was going with the statement is if we're going to look solely at resume and we're going to start saying that the rankings uh, should show Oregon should be number one in the country. Hands and down, State, and Penn State should be number two. Then, you really think so? I mean, if you based on your criteria, yes. No, Alabama would be number two. Why? Why Penn State? Because of the win this weekend. They also beat Wisconsin. So, I'm. Just, you're talking. About, that's right, not that, a top that, five team in the country. They, but I'm saying it's two wins over top twenty five programs. For Penn State. Is it not? Who are they? Who? I, I'm asking because I don't yeah. follow Penn State football. I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm make. Let me, let me pull up the record here. Let me, let me pull it up. I get, I get three channels, <laughs> three channels, and if there's a game that's being played that's not on one of those three channels, I'm halfway oblivious to it. You, you don't have internet service where you live, huh? I have internet. <laughs> are, are you advocating for me to consume media through an illegal format? No, I'm just, there's lots of places you can legally access games on the internet. Yeah, the right. same three channels I mean, that I've already I mean, got. I, okay, so they beat Auburn. Auburn was number 22. And when they beat Wisconsin, Wisconsin was, was number 12. So they've got two wins over top 25 programs. But not uh, top five programs. But, but I'm, what I'm saying is, Rich, you're, you're saying, yeah, that Alabama's got a win over a top nine program. And Florida, who else has Alabama beaten? Well, I mean, they haven't looked challenged at all this season so far either. They won by they, two they, points. That's Matt, no, 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 Matt, I'm getting what you're saying about Florida. Okay. When I, I left the location that I was at as that game was 20 points, it was a 20. I, I didn't even see the final score. So sorry. <laughs> my, my view was skewed of that game. I did not know it ended in two points. I just assumed it was going to be a blowout because Florida was really struggling there for a long time. And Alabama was scoring on every offensive possession. It was, like I said, a 20 point game in a hurry. And it stayed like that for quite some time. I left the location, didn't, didn't check back in on that one. Instead, I only checked in on my Friday locks. So um, we, yeah, still, when it comes to, to best wins of the season, I, I would stand by, and the whole, our whole argument here was about Oregon and why Oklahoma is sliding down. So when we look at Oregon, I'm advocating for them to be number one in the country based upon resume. Well, and, and that's, that's the whole point I'm making is if you're going that route, which you can mm-hmm. make a solid argument that route with Oregon, but if that's the way you're going to do it, you got to put Penn state at number two. 
Okay. Because their resume. I'll I'll concede that one (laughs) after hearing the score. My apologies. All right, let's look at uh, Oklahoma. Let's just uh, break down offensively. Um, so wait, before we move, sorry. So you're you're saying like me, you got no problem with Oklahoma dropping to number four. I, I really don't, and it's largely because the rankings don't mean a whole lot at this point in time. There's a lot of football left to be played. We know when we get into November and we get into early December with those conference championship games, this land. This landscape is going to shift quite a bit before we get there. So yes, while it's favorable to find yourself in one of those positions, it's not the end all be all if you're sitting inside the top 15 even right now, because you still legitimately have a shot of making the college football playoff by the end of the season. Yeah, I scooted my chair there. I apologize. A chair scoot on tile floor um, probably didn't sound very good. Uh, no, you're, you're right. All right. So offensively, Oklahoma, 23 points against Nebraska. Now, this is a Nebraska team that I said uh, pregame that they would mirror Tulane in a lot of ways. Defensively, their front, their front seven was good, but it was driven by linebackers. I, when, you, when you break down Oklahoma's offense, nothing was spectacular about Oklahoma's offense. But really, nothing was bad either. It was just kind of meh. You know, you got 21 first downs, 194 rushing yards, 214 passing yards, total of 408 yards. You you found the end zone three times. I I mean, I think we've just become so used to the spectacular four touchdown halves that Oklahoma puts together almost every weekend that it just, it it was kind of a ho-hum performance, but it was good enough for Oklahoma to get the job done on Saturday. I'm not going to disagree with your statement. And largely for me, Matt, I believe that the fan base approaches Oklahoma football under Lincoln Riley as one of the most efficient offenses in the country. And granted, it has been. It doesn't seem as though that's the offense this season. And there's not, I, I can't pinpoint what the key factors are that are contributing to that. But I even said this week one was, I, I felt like Oklahoma would show a display of big plays and they simply didn't against Tulane. They really weren't there. Now, granted, Matt, there are some that individuals break off for large chunks of yards, but consistently it just isn't happening. We can go back to the Hollywood Brown years. That was something that was consistent. D.D. Westbrook, that was something that was consistent at the receiver position. Marvin Mims even showed glimpses of that last season. We, we just really haven't had that, for me at least, this season. In the running game, it's been far better than what we had at the beginning of last year. Ramondre Stevenson in, enters right. the equation halfway through the season, and I feel like these are on par with one another you look at the offense as a whole and that's really what it's been lacking for me it's Mm -hmm. lacking that efficiency if i had to sum it up in one word but at the end of the day the offense is still doing enough to get the win but where it really comes down to it for me is the defense is putting up enough stops and enough effort to provide the opportunity the chance to win these games okay so, so let me let me take everything you just said and let me ask you this question when you you say oklahoma offense needs to be efficient more efficient they're not as efficient as you expect them to be define efficient what what are you talking about there when you when if you're if it needs to be efficient what are you talking about specifically yeah, you're talking about so, scoring you're talking about yardage no. yes yeah it's it's the specific stat that i would look at to decide if 
there is an offense that's more efficient than another offense is yards per play. Okay. Not yards per carry, not yards per catch, not yards per throw. It's, it's yards per offensive play. What does that number come out to? Because we're used to seeing Oklahoma above the 10 mark each year. That's an average. I, I'm going to go in and I'm going to look. I'm at the website right now where I get all my stats from. I'm going in to look and I'm going to see where Oklahoma is offensively in yards per play because I can already tell you it is way below 10. They're about and eight. Are they, you're you're going to need to come down a little bit from that one. Well, I know on Saturday they, they averaged, what, 16 and a half yards per play? But I'm talking, I'm talking about for the season through three games. Three well, games, talking, Matt. It's below eight. Okay, so where are they? Six point six five. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm wrong. They, they were six point one on Saturday. I, I thought they mm-hmm. were at eight, but they're six point one. Here's the point. I'm here's what I'm getting at though. How many how many offensive possessions do you think Oklahoma had? On Saturday? Uh-huh. Not a lot. Um that that was clear, very clear to me. Um, through the first half that this was not going to be a game of many offensive possessions. I would venture to say, and this is a total guess, replaying the game in my mind, I would say they they had seven or eight offensive they, possessions. They had nine. Nine offensive possessions. They scored on three of the nine. You got you got the missed field goal in the first half, mm-hmm. which was very uncharacteristic of Gabe Burkage. But so you had the chance to score on four of the nine. Plus, you got the, the two-point conversion that was run back on the extra point block. So th- you're scoring on a third of your offensive positions. To me, that's efficiency. I, what, what, is, what is your score rate per possession? And, and I, Nebraska, I, when we're talking about this offense, there are issues. There's problems with this offense, and it starts up front with the offensive line. There, it, the secret's out. There, there's a reason why Bill Bienbo Bill has eight guys that he's trying to rotate into five spots because mm-hmm. he doesn't have five solid guys yet. Andrew Rame, I liked what I saw from him once he got in the game. I mean, I, there's a, a video floating out where he just, I can't remember the guy's name, uh, the linebacker from Nebraska, number 44, where Andrew Rame just literally picks the guy up and throws him three or four yards back. If you can go to Heartland Sports, go to our Twitter feed, sports at Sports Heartland. I retweeted that. You can find the video. He takes this guy and he throws him three or four yards, just straight back. And the guy lands on his back. Andrew rain has a lot of power, but the, I, I, I don't think he has the, the firm grasp of what they need. Physically. He's there X's and O's. It doesn't seem like he's there yet. That's why Robert Conjol is getting the start over him in that position. But, and it goes across the board with three different positions like that, rich. And when, and, and I, I get it, you know, you, you got the people complaining about play calling. You, you got the, and I understand what you're saying. But here's what it, it, it breaks down to two very simple things for me. Number one is this offensive line is not ready. It's not ready. And because of that, it's easier to run block than it is to pass block. You and I have had this conversation yeah. in previous podcasts. Run blocking, you got to move a guy for a second or a second and a half. Mm-hmm. Pass blocking, you got to hold a guy off who's charging you for three, sometimes four seconds if you really want to be good at what you're doing. And so they're, they're running the ball because it's so much easier right now conceptually with this offensive line than it is to pass block. And, and keep in mind, as much as Spencer Rattler was moved from the pocket on Saturday, he was never sacked. 
And the fact that he was never sacked, to me, that says more about Spencer Rattler than it does this offensive line. And there's people out there who are literally calling for Caleb Williams. You want to put a true freshman in there. And Caleb Williams may have more outside. <laughs> Caleb, Caleb Williams may be the Kyler Murray to Baker Mayfield, all right? You, you, the next guy who comes in is better than the guy before. He may be. But you're really telling me you want to put a true freshman behind this line. You're telling me you think Caleb Williams has that firm of a grasp of the offense. He has He's caught up that much to the speed of this game. The guy who was 50% against Western Carolina. You want to put in a quarterback who is 50% against the worst team that Oklahoma will face this season. It makes zero sense. You got to – Spencer Rattler, not the perfect quarterback. Spencer, Spencer Rattler, not the polished kid that I believe he will be when he leaves Norman. But he was never sacked on Saturday, Rich. Mm -hmm. He was able to flush. He was able to move. He was able to buy time. He didn't always make the right read, but he was never sacked. And you got so much going on. I, I look at what Spencer Rattler did in completely different eyes than a lot of other people. When I, Matt, we, we've talked in depth about the athleticism and the talent that exists in Spencer Rattler. Um, I do have to look at the offensive line, though, as you mentioned and see that rotation and see what Bill Bo is attempting to do with this offensive line and say, I think you've hit the nail on the head because it, it not only translates, I need to go in and apologize as well. Um, maybe my expectations are a little skewed on yards per play. Cause I went back all the way to, to Trevor Knight's years in plays uh, yards per play and Oklahoma is typically right around the eight mark but very rarely are they below like 7.8. You have to go all the way back to Trevor Knight when he was a starter with this offense to find a number that was in the six, that mm -hmm. six, just, just right about where Oklahoma's hovering right now. And we know that that was not the best Oklahoma offense that has ever taken the field. Needless to say, back to the offensive line here is, I think it not only does it translate to what Oklahoma is doing in the running game or more so to say that they're favoring the run game, but it also speaks to what they're doing when they're giving Spencer rather the opportunity to pass. Right. Let's just look back at Saturday and what, what Nebraska was doing defensively. There was, I want to say it was in the third quarter. It may have been in the fourth quarter. There was a string of out routes and they were all going to Jaden Hazelwood. That's not a downfield route. That's something to gain yardage to, essentially move the sticks and hopefully two plays. We're seeing a lot of that from Oklahoma this season, which I do believe contributes to my definition of efficiency in keeping that number in the six range right now. Passes are short. They're quick. They're getting the ball out of Spencer Rattler's hands faster than what they, they have done in basically the last season. But we're also seeing opportunity for Spencer Rattler to sit in the pocket mm -hmm. with what seems like an eternity to throw the ball. So there are moments. They're just few and far between right now. And again, it depends on the opponent as well. And I think mm -hmm. Nebraska, they, they were able to bring the heat and they were able to do some of it out of base. And then some of it, they, they brought in an extra blitzer and, and the out route, the, the slant route, the short routes that that's what the, you look at Oklahoma's first offensive possession of the game, first offensive possession of the second half. And those were perfect offensive possessions. They, they, they chewed up time. They kind of leaned on the defense a little bit though. Those were efficient offensive possessions in the terms of the mm -hmm. length of the, the length of time off the clock and so forth. 
but then when Nebraska adjusts, it takes this this group. Uh, <laughs> when when the we saw it with Tulane, we didn't see it with Western Carolina, but now we've seen it with Nebraska. Two of the three opponents. When the opponent makes an adjustment, I'll give you a good example. First offensive possession of the game, Nebraska ran just one safety deep. And and Oklahoma was able just to meticulously work its way down the field and score a touchdown. After that, Nebraska ran their second safety deep. They didn't have him up at the line of scrimmage. They were running him deep. And, and it took a couple of possessions to adjust to that. And, and you're seeing that. You saw it with Tulane. You're seeing it with Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And some of that is just how they're going to block. I said there was two things that, that it breaks down to me on this. And, and I said the offensive line and how it kind of plays into everything else. But the other thing is, is the number of possessions. How do you work out kinks? You work it out by just continually practicing, continue doing the same thing over and over again. And when you only have, we, Rich, we've seen games where Oklahoma has had nine possessions in a half. Nine possessions in one half. And they went from that type of, of, of output on the field to nine possessions in the entire game. And so at some point you have to give Scott Frost and Nebraska credit and say Mm -hmm. this game plan, not only was their game plan solid, the way they executed the game plan was very solid on both sides of the ball. Yeah. I, I would definitely say that for the defense Um, offensively. I felt like Nebraska was taking what was given to them, but defensively, defensively, Matt, when you looked at, what the game plan was for Nebraska, it was to mix things up. Numerous times on the same drive, on the same set of downs, we would see Nebraska start in a soft zone, and then they would come up and they would play press coverage. And then guess what? They're they're back giving a little bit of a cushion, but it's still a man look. Uh, there was a lot going on, not, not difficult, difficult things, but there was a lot going on for a quarterback to assess, especially one who is in a second year as a starter, um, has one year of experience and is really at the beginning of that second year. So Spencer Rattler has 14 games in under his belt right now. And when we look at what he's trying to process and we're, we're looking at him trying to work through his progressions, Nebraska took full advantage. And you do have to give them credit for mixing up the types of defense, the looks that they were giving Spencer Rattler and saying, if you can figure it out, because we're going to switch on this play, the next play and the third play of this set of downs, but we're not going to switch for the next four. Uh, There was just a lot of confusion uh, that they were throwing out there. And at any moment, we saw it a couple of times, even at any moment, Nebraska found themselves in a position to make a turnover. They just didn't get the turnover. Let's talk about the guys who were around Eric Gray. And then we'll come back and close this conversation out with some more uh, around Eric Gray. The guys that are around Spencer Rattler. Uh, and then we'll come back and we'll close this out with just a little more discussion about him, about the quarterback. But Eric Gray, obviously, that's where I'm going next. Um, you know, I, I said Thursday, it's right or they've, they've just, the coaching staff is right or die with Eric Gray. And what I saw out of Tulane, I wanted to, I talked about this. I wanted to see if he would continue to look more like the running back against Tulane, or if he would go back to looking more like the kid we saw in the opener, uh, sorry, if he'd look more like the running back from Western Carolina, or if he'd go back looking like the kid we saw in the opener against Tulane, Eric Gray continued to look like the guy from Western Carolina. He averaged 5.6 yards per carry. He led the team 88 yards uh, rushing Kennedy Brooks, not too far behind him. He, mm-hmm. Kennedy Brooks, five and a half, 5.4 yards per carry. And 77 yards on 14 carries. Of course, Kennedy Brooks is the one of the two that found the end zone. But 
I'm I was very leery of Eric of, of Eric Gray starting the season after what he did against Tulane, just three yards a carry, didn't look strong between the tackles. What we saw against Western Carolina and then what we saw Saturday against Nebraska, that's a different running back than we saw against Tulane in the opener. And I like this version of Eric Gray for sure. Yeah, we've talked about the versatility, of course, of Eric Gray, the positives, the upsides that he brings to the game. But you do want to see him be a very capable runner. Um, I talked about against Western Carolina, Matt, the patience and the burst that we knew. We knew he had the burst. Um, but actually putting that into use, putting that into practice, waiting for the gaps to open up, showed a little bit of the progression, showed that he was a little more comfortable in this offense and with the role, the responsibility that he was given. Whereas Kennedy Brooks, uh, he burst onto the scene and looked like he didn't skip a season at all. So we we were expecting greatness from him. We were expecting him to continue at the same clip that Kennedy Brooks previous two seasons, granted not playing in 2020, but the previous two seasons, we expected him to continue at that clip when he got touches. And of course, he stepped right back in. And as I've said, didn't look like he missed a beat at all. Eric Gray has now become that. I, I, he's not the compliment. I don't really know what, what phrasing or what identity to associate with him because Eric Gray is continuously getting the stars. It's like Kennedy Brooks is the compliment, but their skill sets are very complementary of one another. Knowing what you get out of these two backs, um, they're a very powerful duo with a lot of potential and can do a lot of damage to some of these defenses. But again, it all starts with how comfortable is Eric Gray in this system? And I finally feel like he has a solid grasp upon the responsibilities and knowing how to work within his limits, which there's not many. (laughs) One of the things we talked about, Eric Gray, after last week's game was the biggest step from game one to game two with Eric Gray was picking up the blitz and and blocking Mm -hmm. and those types. And and again, we saw that continue to play out Saturday against Nebraska. And the way I would describe the two guys is Eric Gray, he's a – he's an all purpose back. Okay. He's a jitterbug with the ball in his hands. He can catch it. He can run it. Um, and he's learning he's showing over the last two weeks that not only can he run, but he can run with power. Um, and Kenny Brooks is just smooth. There's just, there's a, there's a smoothness to him and the way he runs. Mm -hmm. He's a, he's a true every down type running back. Um, that could, I mean, he could carry the rock every, every down of every game if you wanted him to. Um, and I, I like how they're using them. I, I was not sold after game one, after game three, I'm sold. I, I'm okay with this running back situation being the way it is. They're almost, if you look at it, it's almost an equal workload. This was a big game. And these two guys equal workload with you throw Spencer mm-hmm. Rattler in there. They have almost 200 yards on the ground. This running, we're going to talk more. We're going to come back to this, <clears throat> true or false. Uh, but to me, I like what I'm seeing out of these guys. I got a quick question for you because we are three games into the season. I know you were pretty high on Eric Gray after the spring, spring game, after seeing him in action for the first time and, and taking in his abilities and his talents, doing the eye test. We're three, great, three games into the season. Are you shocked that he has not crossed the goal line yet? You or are right. you saying... You mean yeah. running? Yeah, correct. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, no, not really. Be, um, you know, are you Kennedy, just saying it's a situational thing where yeah, Kennedy I mean, Brooks is clearly your red zone guy? Absolutely. I mean, I, I kind of expected that going in. I, I expected Eric Gray to score the way he has. He caught, you know, caught the pass coming out of the backfield. I think you're going to see him break off a long run. Uh, his touchdowns. Here, here's what you want to look at between these two guys. When you, when, when, 
when Eric Gray finally does reach the red, the end zone, look at the uh, average yardage per touchdown between these two running backs. And I'm almost willing to bet at the end of the season, the average yardage on a touchdown play for Kennedy Brooks will be shorter than that of Eric Gray because Kennedy Brooks is that bruiser guy. Now, first down, second down, Kennedy Brooks is going to inside the five yard line, first down, second down, it's going to be Kennedy Brooks. You get a third and goal, you're probably going to see Eric Gray because he can do more out of that backfield. But Kennedy Brooks is going to be exactly what we saw last Saturday against Nebraska. You know, you're on the two yard line, you need a score, you give it to Kennedy Brooks. So, no, I'm not well, surprised by that. Same way, I'm not surprised Kennedy Brooks hasn't caught a touchdown pass. And and let's talk about just the goal line and this goal line offense. I, I think we've seen that start to evolve as well, whereas Oklahoma seemed to want to run the ball in the end zone against Nebraska. You saw a lot of motion. You saw the play action, which ends up scoring one of the touchdowns for Oklahoma. So again, it's not just we're going to line up and we're going to stuff the ball into the end zone. They're getting a little more creative, opening the playbook in the red zone. And I think that'll be key as Oklahoma moves forward to some of these other, these, these conference opponents, essentially. Well, you're going to build from each. I mean, you, Lincoln Riley, his teams get better every year. You, you look back at his tenure as the head coach at Oklahoma, every year they get better as the season progresses. And, and when is it, when do teams beat Oklahoma? They beat them early. Kansas State last year, Iowa State mm-hmm. last year. You go back, you know, you, you you trace back the losses. It happens in the first half of the season because by the time they hit mid, mid-October, early November, his team is humming. And that's part of why I'm okay with where Oklahoma is right now. They've not played their best football this season, but they're sitting at 3-0. and and, and it's because you take game one and you improve on it to game two. And then you take game one and game two, you improve on it to game three. And I promise you, West Virginia, they're, they're, they're good. They're better than I expected them to be. But they're coming to Norman going, uh, this team's going to, they're going to continually evolve. West Virginia is the fourth game of the season. You're a month in when you play West Virginia. You start conference play. But I promise you, the team that plays West Virginia on Saturday won't be as good as the team that plays at the end of October. And that's just how this, that's how Lincoln Riley builds his teams. And so it it just, it it all stacks together. So I, I I mean, it's, it's following the pattern, but you're three and oh, following that pattern. If they survive two more weeks, once once you get to that first month of the season, you see Lincoln Riley's teams take a giant (laughs) step from week to week. So you're really still in the danger zone, but you're getting, you're getting a little bit closer and closer and closer to the edge. Is that something then that Oklahoma fans can really hang their hat on is knowing that these Lincoln Riley teams have gotten better throughout the course of the season. Oklahoma still sitting at three and oh may not have been the prettiest wins, but a win is a win. And it seems like this team is driven to win games, regardless of if it's a two point right. victory. Uh, let me rephrase that because the first one was a five point. This is not Alabama, Florida, as I learned um, a five. Five point victory or a seven point victory, a win is a win. Is that again something Oklahoma can hang Oklahoma fans can hang their hats on moving forward, knowing that this team is only going to get better, not regress? Well, let me ask answer your question with the question. Do you think Texas would trade for a five point win over Arkansas? Uh, absolutely. There, there you have it. I mean, I mean, Texas is going to be the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, as much as we hate Texas, they're going to get better as the season moves on. Would Iowa State take a seven-point win over Iowa? Of course they would. Yeah, you hang your hat on it because because you have a track record with Lincoln Riley. 
if this is linking around his first season or second season, I think you, you're more you're, you're more tempted to push the, the panic button than you are now because you've seen this guy do it 2016, 17, 18, 19. You've, you've seen it happen over and over and over again as the offense improves under his tutelage. And so, yeah, that that's I, I think you hang your hat on that. Is, am I saying Oklahoma's going to run the table? I'm not guaranteeing it, but what I am saying is that they're three and oh, they're a lot closer to running the table than Texas is. Yeah. Yeah. O- Oklahoma, Matt. Um, I just wanted to pull up their, their red zone stats really quickly. Oklahoma should be perfect in the red zone. There's one lone field goal miss, a very, very much so an anomaly from Gabe Burkich. Um, but you're looking at Oklahoma being squarely in second place, which is really 20th place in the rankings because there's 19 teams who remain perfect. Oklahoma taking that next spot at number 20 converting 94.44 percentage of the red zone trips into scores freaking Gabe Burkage you put him on the bench <laughs> all right um hey last week you asked me on true or false about Jaden Hazelwood uh whether he was a, a a top option for Spencer Rattler and the question was just every you know every average down is he a top option I think I said false, and you mm-hmm. you agreed with me. Yeah, and then absolutely. That, that changed into the red zone. He because mm-hmm. of his size, because of his skill set, he does become a top option. But he was the top option on Saturday. Six catches he, for sixty-one yards. Yeah, he he absolutely was. And it's funny that you bring that up because I leaned over during the game and said, "Well, I guess Jaden Hazelwood cementing himself as one of the best receiving options." And again, Matt, that's not anything. I think that's surprising to myself. It was just the way that the pecking order had sorted itself up until the Nebraska game. We've mm-hmm. not seen a, a healthy Jaden Hazelwood up until this season. Now, has he played in games? Absolutely. Do I believe him to have been 100% healthy before then? No, right. not at all. So we're seeing a healthy Jaden Hazelwood. This is really his first, hopefully his first full year of college football and he'll continue to make strides. He'll con- continue to put one foot in front of the other and get better and progress each and every week. And if this is the progression of Jaden Hazelwood, you absolutely have to say that the sky's the limit. And when he was being recruited, there were there was a lot of talk surrounding him and his name, where he would land and what exactly he would be capable of. He's right. finally living up to that billing. And this is a kid who stands to, to make himself a lot of money because he has a lot of traits that aren't coachable. Yeah, and, and to an extent, he's still raw, is, and, and I think mm-hmm. that's what you're saying. I, I think Marvin Mims definitely is still the top threat on this team, and you look at that, and you know that answer is correct because of how defenses line up with a man over top of him. Jaden Hazelwood is benefiting from that, and now you're you're like, if you're a defensive coordinator, you've got to figure it out. You know, Are you okay with, with giving up that to Jaden Hazelwood as long as you keep Marvin Mims in check? Um, and when you hit that point, and the answer to that is we, we want to change something about how you're approaching Jaden Hazelwood, then the next guy is going to benefit. It's going to be Mario Williams. So, again, we're seeing this thing evolve, and they're going to continue to find ways to, to execute and to use these guys. Um, and this, I, I promise you, this team will be better than what they are right now. Spencer Rattler was efficient, in my opinion. He only had 10 incomplete passes. Yes, he had a couple of what-in-the-world-were-you-thinking type passes. He reminds me of a college version of Patrick Mahomes, who just relied too much 
on his own skill set and made too many kind of gambles, kind of risky plays. And you're still seeing that out of Spencer Rattler. But I, there was a Baker Mayfield-esque type moment when he bulldozes the defensive back around the two-yard line and just kind of stands over him for a brief second. You kind of, as I told, I told my wife, I said, that, that looked like Baker Mayfield right there, just kind of lowering the shoulder and send the defensive back rolling and then standing there for a second. I, this isn't the finished product with Spencer Rattler. Was he perfect on Saturday? No. Was he bad on Saturday? No. What was he on Saturday? He was efficient and he just got the job done. Sorry, it froze up on me there. So you're saying he just got the job done. That's how you ended that one. Yeah. I just said he was fishing and he got the job yeah, yeah. done. He wasn't, he wasn't spectacular. He wasn't perfect. But yeah, yeah, I caught I caught all that just that that end broke up, which my apologies for the moment of silence on air. Um, Matt, I'm not going to agree with you, even though our our definitions of efficient are on two opposite ends of the spectrum. And in fact, I don't even think they're on the same spectrum and we're approaching it from two different vantage points. I'm I'm not disappointed with Spencer Rattler. Um, I know that there were some questionable throws that were made into coverage. There was one in triple coverage that I thought was was not the greatest. There was no, one was where I th- it was just terrible. I mean, I'll be honest with you, that that mm-hmm. throw was just flat terrible. There was one where I thought Spencer Rattler was throwing it out of bounds, but it was definitely catchable I on the sideline. Rattler thought he was throwing it out of bounds, and Marvin uh, Mario and Mar- Williams Mario Williams had to come in and break that one up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So there there were some questionable moments. But overall, the overall performance, I'm not disappointed in what we saw from Spencer Rattler. I don't think that (laughs) I I have to keep going back to this because I want the big plays. They're just not there. I don't know if that's hindering this offense. I don't know. We haven't had them at this point in time. And so to look at Spencer Rattler and dock him for that isn't, that's not his fault. So I can't, and I'm, I'm just going to fall right in line with you and say that it was an efficient game. He did what was, was needed to do in order for Oklahoma to win, but it's not a championship. Let me not use that term. It's not the caliber of a performance that you expect consistently from a Heisman winner. There's a lot of moving parts to an offense. The quarterback typically gets all the credit when things go great. And then they get all of the blame when things don't go spectacular. Then the truth is it's somewhere in the middle because they don't deserve all the credit when things are going great. And they don't deserve all the blame when things are not going so great. And that's where we find Spencer Rattler. But this is part of the job when you're a high profile quarterback at a high profile school with a high profile coach, but um, I, I'm okay. I still think those people that are, that are just begging for Caleb Williams to get a shot are um, they're insane. That's just, uh, they're, I'm just going to say it, they're insane right now. Um, give me your player of the game. It just, it was, is a, it was a crazy offensive day where mm-hmm. no one really stood out. I mean, there's just no one really there. There's not a guy out there on the offense that you can say, yeah, that guy, he was the best player on the field. Yeah, and that's what makes this one so difficult. In fact, I was hoping that you weren't going to pick me to go first, but here's what I'll say. Um, I'm going to go with Jaden Hazelwood, and it's largely because there was that extended period of time where he seemed to be the only receiver who the ball was being thrown in his general direction. Mm -hmm. And if you knew it was coming, Jaden Hazelwood was still going up and making that catch. He was running the exact same route against the same defender, and that same defender couldn't 
and stop him. It speaks to his talent level. It speaks to what he could be capable of. Granted, I'm still of the opinion, excuse me, I'm still of the opinion that he has work to do, that we haven't seen him hit a pinnacle. He's not at the apex of his game, but he's certainly moving in that direction. And because of what we saw consistently from him in the game, he's not the clear winner for me, but he's going to take the cake today. Yeah, 24, a, a total of 24 caught passes by Oklahoma players on Saturday. One fourth of those went to Jaden Hazelwood. Uh, so that's a good pick. I, you know, I, I'm going to go with Eric Gray. Um, you know, he only had one catch for two yards, but, you know, the 15 carries, 88 yards, that was the team high, 5.6 yards per carry, just edging out Kennedy Brooks. But um, he, he was able to, pro to provide enough balance to make this offense work. And so, you know, for those of you, if you this is one of your first time listening and you haven't listened for a while, kind of Spencer Rattler's off limits for us uh, because he is the, the, the guy that's the obvious answer almost every time you're looking at a player to watch or the offensive player of the game. But if he wasn't off limits, this may be a game rich where you do go to him be because of 214 passing yards. He had one passing touchdown. I uh, also used his feet, you know, 35 rushing yards and, and a rushing touchdown. So he, I mean, if you break it down, he averaged more yards per carry than Eric Gray did. But, um, but with Kent, with uh, Spencer Rattler off the board, I'm going to go with Eric Gray. You're going to go with Jaden Hazelwood. And I don't think you can really make a strong argument against either one of those guys. If you flip the script and you look at the defensive side of the ball here, um, you know, even if you didn't pick this up during the game, uh, you know, you heard Alex Grinch kind of confess to it post game, but really they, they said, well, let's see if, if Adrian Martinez can beat us with his arm. Mm -hmm. and, and the focus was to shut down the Nebraska's rushing attack yeah, and force Martinez to make plays with his arm. And he absolutely did. I mean, he almost did what they didn't think he could do. But when you look at the game plan and this is where I'm going to deviate a little bit from, from some of the masses out there who are, who are disenfranchised with, with this defense, the defense did what they were tasked to do. Nebraska came into this game, a very balanced offense, averaging over 200 yards per game on the ground, over 200 yards per game in the air. And they were able to go, they were just slightly above average, 289 passing yards, but Rich, they held them to just 2.5 yards per carry and 95 total yards for the game. Mm -hmm. that's a win. That's a big win for what they wanted to do against this Nebraska team. Yeah, absolutely. And you look inside of that game plan and how they use Nick Benito. We're so used to him being that rush defensive end. They used him more as a spy throughout this game. And you saw just how effective that right. could be in slowing down a guy like Martinez. Granted, Matt, Oklahoma was in the backfield quite often. You have to give credit to keeping for Martinez for keeping his eyes yeah. downfield and as these these cornerbacks as these defensive backs are asked to cover for extended periods of time just knowing that someone would come open and consistently putting the ball in the air and finding his receiver so there's a lot of credit there but what Oklahoma set out to do set out to do excuse me they accomplished just that because I'm sitting in the same boat and saying if if you're looking at this Nebraska team you want to make them one-dimensional you want to you want to do that of any team if we're being honest right. if you can make them one-dimensional your six your your chances of success on the defensive side of the ball they they basically go up astronomically and when you look at Oklahoma and say that they were capable of doing that. You just don't expect a quarterback to all of a sudden find a rhythm with receivers. 
I attribute a lot of that, Matt, to Nebraska using two tight ends throughout the game, though. No, you're right. You're, you're spot on with the tight ends. And, and, and again, you saw motion. You, it goes mm. back to what do we see out of Tulane that was successful? And, and what I said after the Tulane game is you're going to try this. If you're an offensive coordinator, you saw Tulane did this, you would be a fool not to try it, not to <clears> see him, not to make Oklahoma prove. If you don't give Oklahoma the chance to prove that they've learned from this, that's on you. But you at least should try it and make him do it. Western Carolina didn't yeah. have the horses to make this happen. Nebraska did, and and they were phenomenal. I mean, they the, the use of the tight ends on, on the big plays, number 11, what just, I kept saying, just don't throw it, make sure you don't lose number 11. You know, mm-hmm. I think he led the team with, with receptions for Nebraska. Um, and so th- those guys coming out of the backfield, those are all the things that Tulane took advantage of and Nebraska did as well. But again, at the end of the day, if you're Alex Grinch, you're, you're a little bit happy with, with what you've accomplished because your number one goal was they're not going to beat us on the ground. And uh-huh. they didn't. Now you, now you've got work to do in the back end. There's still some recognition that needs to take place. Some of that could have been the fact that Billy Bowman was absent in this game. You, you've got young guys that are still learning uh, there in that backfield. So there, there are things that you can take away from this and you can say, yeah, the defense absolutely has to get better at recognizing guys releasing from the line of scrimmage because that's true. Absolutely. It's true. This defense has to get better at knowing where they're supposed to be once motion hits. And they talked to it about this specifically after the game, when motion happens, what are we supposed to default back to? They've got to get better at it. There are things that they've got to get better at, but I think at the end of the day, Rich, you give credit to things when we're talking about Oklahoma's defense. Number one, we've already talked about it. We've already said it. You give them credit for holding Nebraska to under 100 yards rushing. And then number two, you have to give Adrian Martinez credit for not being an easy target back there. I said this Thursday in the in the pre preview for this game that when you get a shot at Adrian Martinez, you can't miss. Because if you miss, he's going to make you pay. And I love Isaiah Thomas. And there was probably no one more frustrated with Isaiah Thomas than Isaiah Thomas on Saturday. But the dude missed. I mean, and that's and it's not because Isaiah Thomas is a sack of potatoes. That's because Adrian Martinez is hard to bring down. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. That, so you got to give Martinez credit for that. You do. And we knew that Martinez was going to bring in a unique skill set that he had the capability of extending plays or getting downfield as things begin to crumble around him. Um, that was evidenced in the, the three games prior to Nebraska coming to Norman, as that was their fourth game of the season. So when we look at the, the bread and butter of Nebraska, it really all rests on Adrian Martinez's shoulders. Getting into the backfield and bringing him down, I didn't expect it to go (laughs) necessarily as it did, but we saw more than a handful of missed tackles, Matt, and it wasn't just Isaiah Thomas who was in the backfield and simply couldn't get a hand on Adrian Martinez. So again, speaks to the, the, the athleticism at the quarterback position and the playmaking ability that he has with Nebraska. Um, Again, all that responsibility falls on his shoulders and he's making sure that he's not the reason that his team's losing these games. Yeah. Oklahoma had five sacks on the day and they had four opportunities where they missed. So they could have, they could have doubled their sack total on Saturday. If, if Martinez wasn't that good. It's, and again, it's not because they weren't getting there. It's not because they weren't capable. It's that's how good Adrian Martinez is. And this is where you run into a little bit of a danger uh, as an Oklahoma fan 
and that she always talked down about the opponent. And and when you do that, it leaves you with no other option when when an opponent comes in and does stuff like Adrian Martinez did. You t- people talk down about Adrian Martinez because of the passing concept. Now, he had his best passing day of the season in four games. His best passing day was against Oklahoma on Saturday. But when you talk down about a guy because he's an inaccurate passer, you, you t- totally overlook the fact he's a monster to bring down, and he's the leading rusher for a reason. Mm-hmm. And so you, you got you to gotta acknowledge those things ahead of time because if you don't, you're either making excuses or you're, you're, you're kind of bringing your own team down afterwards. I felt as though when it came to Nebraska, when it came to Adrian Martinez, that they were trying to make a shift this year where Martinez would not be the leading rusher. That has not happened through right. the first the first quarter of the season for Nebraska. This is who they are. It's their MO. It's their identity. This is who they're going to be moving forward as well. And I agree with you. My, what What's the saying? Is it that 90% of the game is mental? 10% is the physical yeah. aspect of it. And and thinking you've got someone figured out that you've got someone beat. We can go back to Tulane. We don't need an explanation for just how big of a factor mental awareness can play in the outcome of a game, Matt. No, you're right. Um, you know, we, we keep mirroring this game to Tulane. And one of the things that kind of jumps in there is that at the end of the Tulane game, you had the defense on the field needing to make a stop to preserve the win. At the end of the Nebraska game, you had the defense on the field needing to make a stop to preserve the win. And in both occasions, and on both occasions, the defense rose and just wreaked havoc in the backfield. And so you see this defensive front kind of flex itself in a way that, um, that you, you you look at their potential and you see that potential come right to the forefront on the closing drives of both games. Can we talk about the the lone turnover for the Oklahoma defense real quick? Sure. I, I want to ask a question. It's, it's a, it can be a simple yes or no. I don't necessarily need an explanation. You look at what was being labeled as the best interception of all time. I when asked about it, the only thing that I could compare it to was the, the famous Odell Beckham jr. Catch, yeah. except this one was from a defender who also did a three sixty in the air before landing with the ball still in one hand. Was that a selfish play? It was a barrel roll more than it was a three sixty. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I know I understand, but um, mm-hmm. Hey, you know what? Let's, can we, can we put a pin in that? Cause that, that, yeah. might, that topic might come back up in conversation here in about yeah, that's five fine. minutes. <laughs> Is that all right with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, defensively there's, still- I had, I had two, two moments like that for me though. Okay. Not, and, and we very rarely talk about special teams. I get that they're very uh-huh. sporadic there. There really haven't been a lot of special teams opportunities. Okay. That's a lie. There have been plenty. Um, Oklahoma just hasn't punted the ball very much until we got to this Nebraska game. Um, when I look at the special teams as well, there was the the kickoff. I know that Oklahoma expected it to be an onside kick. You've got one guy deep. They uh-huh. kick it right over the line. It rolls towards the sideline. Instead of getting it on the 45, Oklahoma gets it at the eight. Is that a selfish play? Or is that just a lack of 
of experience. No, that's that's a good play on Nebraska. I mean, you found the hole. I mean, I mean, you, you right? Found, but but if that one rolls out of bounds, Oklahoma gets it on the forty-five. Yeah, but you don't you don't risk that at that point because I mean, you go back and look. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of yardage between that football and the next Nebraska guy. Yeah, and you don't in, in that moment you you secure the ball. That's your job. Secure mm-hmm. the ball. And so I've got no problem with that play. Um, it was, it was the Nebraska kicker put it in the, in the right spot and it was a race to the ball. And again, you, you, you just, you don't want to wait and see if it rolls out of bounds mm-hmm. because then what do you, then what are we saying? If, if you're waiting to see if it rolls out of bounds and the Nebraska player jumps on it, this is a, it's this a different, exactly. we're probably in an overtime game. Right. So I don't have a problem with the way that that okay. played out. Okay. Just want to double check them. I do. If I'm going to criticize this defensive line, uh, the defensive front for Oklahoma, it, it goes back to what we've already said. And it, it comes down to broken containment. You know, the, mm-hmm. I said Thursday, you want your pressure to come up the middle. By the way, do yourself a favor. Jalen Redmond sack in the fourth quarter. Go back and look at that. You could go to heartland-sports.com. Look at our post game. It's there. Go back and look at that play. And see how many people that Perion Winfrey is occupying at the moment that Jalen Redmond gets mm-hmm. the sack. It's literally one on three with Perion Winfrey and Redmond comes crashing in. But that also said there were times where those, those guys that were supposed to keep containment, they got sucked in, they miss on Martinez, and then Martinez is out running. So if I'm going to criticize, it's, it's going to be what I've already said, which is that, you know, this. You, you just got to keep containment and they didn't do that efficiently throughout the game. There were, there were slips in that and they got burned on those times that they slipped. Other than that, you know, you got some problems in the back end. We talked about reading motion. We talked about seeing guys coming out of the backfield, but I, I felt like it was a pretty, pretty solid performance for Oklahoma's defense altogether on Saturday. There's, there's really a knee jerk reaction because you see that it was a seven point win. you see that it was the 23, to right. 16 and immediately your mind says something went wrong mm-hmm. um and i know that there's been struggles on the defensive side of the ball i know that there's a lot of experience in this inexperience excuse me in this secondary that was forced into starting roles and there's inexperience that had those starting roles before they were sidelined due to injury we saw jaden davis get a start again at cornerback we saw uh billy bowman was out so Latrell McCutcheon steps in at the start for the nickelback there there's a lot of moving parts in the secondary there's a lot of inexperience but there's still a lot of talent and we knew that that was one area that would be tested this season I had said game one map that my expectation was the defensive line could cover up a lot of the shortcomings Mm -hmm. of this secondary because of how dominant they would be in fact it manifested itself in a true or false question when I said that I asked you the question of this Oklahoma team will only go as far as the defensive line can carry it. Now, here we are. We're three games into the season. We're seeing some of those struggles in the secondary. And I really want to, for me at least, say, man, I just can't have that knee-jerk reaction. Because anytime that a defense holds their opponent to 16 points, that should produce a win. That's a very favorable moment for you as a football team. Typically, we're used to Oklahoma 
scoring over 30 points. We're used to Oklahoma hitting that 27 plus mark, which they've consistently done. And we knew that that was going into the game, that there was potential that that wouldn't happen based upon what we've seen this season and out of this offense. Needless to say, Matt, I think it's it's very easy to fall trap to it being a seven point game and wanting to nitpick and say that these are bigger issues than they really are. And so when we look at the defense, my, my singular statement to sum up the defense performance is that it was above average. It, I thought there was a good defensive outing for this defense as a whole. Yes. There are breakdowns in the secondary. Yes. There are some communication issues that still exist. Yes. There were missed tackles, but overall, the output, you can't be disappointed with only 16 points going up on the board. Yeah, and that may be the best point of the night, Rich, is if you if you hold the, your opponent to 16 points mm-hmm. and you lose, the problem's not the defense. Right. And so the question that I'm asking here, though, is would we even have this same, from what we've heard from the fan base, your people, my people, would we even be having the same conversations with those individuals if Oklahoma scored 35 points and no. still held Nebraska to 16? Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so the, the, it's a, it's a moot point to me. It's not even a conversation starter. Like, let's just move on. All right. Well, let's move on. Give me your defensive player of the game. Defensive player of the game. Uh, I'm going to go with a little bit of a, a guy who didn't show up on the stat sheet probably as much as he could have, but it was really in the special teams effort that made all the difference for me. I'm going with Isaiah Coe, two tackles on the night, both are tackles for loss, but it's undeniable uh, the effect that he had in helping Oklahoma build a seven point lead at that time with the blocked kick, the blocked extra point. Yeah. And, you know, Chris Plank brought him up on the podcast Thursday to preview the Nebraska game. And he mentioned Isaiah Coe specifically as one of the guys inside that, uh, that line. That's, that's probably not getting the credit he deserves. I'm going to go with the other end of that block extra point and pick Pat fields uh, because he grabbed that out of the air, ran it back a hundred yards for the two point conversion. And then he also was second on the team in tackles with nine. So uh, I, I think it's a good pick for Isaiah Coe. I'm, I'm going to go, to keep us from having the same guy, even even if if you had said somebody else, I would. Pat Fields was my guy, so um, so that's going to move us on to true or false. And I'm asking the questions, and they're they're not going to be easy this week, Rich. I want to prepare you. Okay. <laughs> okay. So first of all, Rich, you've got some big shoes to fill because you know last week. Um, when I, it was a schedule conflict on, on my end, but you weren't able to be on the podcast to preview the Nebraska game. So we had, uh, we had Chris Plank fill in for you specifically for the true or false portion of the preview. And so now, I mean, you, you got to do better than Chris Plank or you may get fired. I'm just, I'm just throwing yeah, that out there. Easy. Okay. I, I can, I got him. <laughs> okay. Well, here I we can go. Pace him. <laughs> true or false. <laughs> Five questions all about the OU Nebraska game and where this program is right now. Here we go. Number one, true or false, DJ Graham's interception, while spectacular, was in fact the wrong play at that moment. Man, I loved the play. I loved the slow motion highlights. I loved the different vantage points that we got of that. And I do absolutely agree with what they were saying on the broadcast. That is probably the best interception all time. College football interception all time, one of the best, if not the best, but it is true that it was the wrong play. 
I've never seen an interception so great that netted Oklahoma negative 20 yards. And in doing so, Matt, at the same time, while yes, DJ Graham secures the interception, it was fourth down. And that's something that has to be accounted for because if you're able to bat that ball down and instead it hit the ground, Oklahoma's playbook, there's plenty, there's a plethora of more options than they had if they were starting at the two. We see what happens in hindsight's 2020 here. If Oklahoma goes and scores a touchdown on that drive, I don't know that this question is even asked, but instead Oklahoma goes three and out on that one. They're not able to flip the field. Nebraska still gets the ball in Oklahoma territory after the return because Turk standing in the end zone didn't get it really past the 50-yard line. Needless to say, to answer your question short, Just straight and short, yeah, it's the wrong play. It netted the negative 20 yards. Um, But I also believe that had Oklahoma had success on that drive, that that this wouldn't be a conversation starter either. Okay, so I'm going to 100% disagree with you and take the other side of this. And first of all, I want to say this. Odell Beckham Jr. did tweet out about this play, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, But other, other than that, again, think about this, Rich. Follow me here. What was... DJ Graham's physical position when he intercepted this ball. Yeah. And that, that was something that I had considered. He was vertical. I mean, he was horizontal to the ground in the air. So how do you bat it? No, I I don't know, but how do you grab it and hang on to it? Just drop it. Just let go of it. You don't even have to secure the catch, right? Just barrel roll. Like you said, and put it on the ground. The point I'm making is that take me through the physics of how you're Mm -hmm. horizontal in the air how yeah. do you bat that ball down? That that I, I don't have an answer for you. And the, the legitimacy of me, Matt, was what was playing through my head because I defended DJ Graham in the moment uh-huh. saying that if he hits that ball, it's going into the air and it's going into the end zone. Right. Do you like your odds at getting a second interception or a second chance to knock that down more than a receiver who's now behind him catching it? Do you like your odds in that moment? And it's not just that is it's think about, think about the coaching here for just a second. Mm-hmm. Think about what Alex Grinch has preached. Yeah, to you exactly, guys. exactly. How many times in practice do you think Alex Grinch has taken his defensive backs and said, guys, now I want us to practice dropping interceptions. Right. <laughs> so Hey, everything I've taught you, you just need to forget. Right. So <laughs> intellectually in the moment, uh-huh. you think it's fourth and 18. I bat this ball down and we get the ball on the 27 yard line. But physically in the moment, I have been coached to snag this ball out of the air. Physically in the moment, have you, and you, do yourself a favor if you're listening and Rich, if you haven't seen this, go to Twitter because there are, there's videos out there. He does this stuff regularly. He, there's practice videos of him and there's game videos of him all the way back to high school of him doing these type of things, these type of plays. And several of the players mentioned it after the game. They're like, yeah, he does it all the time in practice. And now those videos are out to prove it. But Here is a kid who's been coached to get the ball. And in that moment, you have to fight every instinct that is within you to not do what you've been coached. Mm -hmm. So I think it's the right play. Just the outcome was bad. You know, you get a first down even, and we're not talking about this. And then my my Turk's punt was not spectacular. (laughs) And, and, you know, if he, if he just doesn't a normal punt that, that, that changes, you know, puts them back on their side of the 50. 
probably a different conversation. But yeah. in the moment, I got to disagree. And I say it was the right play in the moment because of the physical position of his body and what he's been coached. But that's okay. Here we go. Um, I told you they're not going to be easy this week. So here's number two. Uh, true or false, Nebraska was, in fact, Oklahoma's strongest non-conference opponent. That's funny. I was driving home this evening, having that conversation with myself in the truck. Did you argue? Nope. No music. No. Um, you know, it was really in preparation. I, I was considering that in preparation. It was a question that I ha- would plan to throw at you towards the end of this podcast as we got to the Big 12 rundown. Because originally, Matt, when you ranked them, I'll answer your question here in a second with the true or false. But originally, you ranked them Tulane, Nebraska, and Western Carolina. And that was very easy after we saw the game against Tulane. But I'm going to answer your question with true. And the reason being the talent level significantly greater at Nebraska than it is at Tulane. The discre- there is a discrepancy there. I said significantly. Maybe it's not as significant as I believe. Number two is Nebraska. There's a heated rivalry between these two programs. Whether Nebraska and Oklahoma players realize that today is is a completely different story. But I'm sure leading up to this game, the 50th anniversary leading up to this game, there was plenty of talk that centered around it. In fact, after the game, Adrian Martinez goes on to talk about the atmosphere of being in Norman, of playing in this rivalry. So it speaks to the knowledge that they had obtained throughout the week in preparation for heading to Norman for this game. Secondarily, no, I guess this would be third, um, talent, rivalry, physicality. Nebraska, by far, I thought Tulane was physical in the game against Oklahoma. Nebraska took it to a completely different level and that was very abundantly clear to me on the offensive side of the ball in what Nebraska was doing with these big sets and how they were using those tight ends to really create a wedge and open up gaping holes for a ball carrier to to move and maneuver in so when we talk about is Nebraska the best non-conference opponent that Oklahoma's faced their record may not show it at two and two, but absolutely because of those three reasons, it's a resounding true for me. Surprise. I'm going to disagree with you again. And this would be an easier question to answer if, if uh, Tulane hadn't just got curb stomped by Ole Miss on Saturday night. But the reason why it's false to me, the reason why I still I'm sticking to my guns, Tulane, number one, Nebraska, number two, and then Western Carolina ranking the non-conference opponents is because Tulane was uh, is a better offensive team than what Nebraska is. And I think defensively, they're very similar. Um, you're right. Nebraska is um, more physical. Uh, schematically, though, the two teams are very similar. It's just Tulane's ahead of the curve when it comes to offense. And yeah. um, and so I think that, to me, still pushes them ahead of, of Nebraska. But it, I will say this. It's a lot closer than I thought it was going to be uh, just a week ago when we're breaking down this Oklahoma-Nebraska game preparing to preview well, it that week. The one thing I want to throw out there that we I don't know many people would consider or even use it as a, a point of discussion is that Nebraska came out to slow the game down, to limit the offensive possessions of Oklahoma. Their brand of football, when they moved into the Big Ten, Matt, I said their brand of football fits the style and the brand of football that's being currently played in the conference, which is these slow, methodical drives that bring that level of physicality and have star running backs. 
Now the quarterbacks have obviously progressed and brought in a little bit of star power in the dual threat nature. That is the quarterback position in the college football realm these days, but it still comes down to the physicality, the big sets and being able to move your opponent out of the way and run them over that that's big 10 brand of football. And that's exactly what Nebraska brought. Yeah. I, 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 I don't disagree with that. I just think there's more that Tulane's capable of doing offensively, especially in that moment as the season opener. And then consider the fact that Oklahoma was prepared to go to New Orleans and then not go to yeah. New Orleans, maybe mm-hmm. go to Birmingham, and then no, not go to Birmingham. Maybe have the game canceled. Oh, no, we're going to play here in Norman on Saturday. So all that, I'm sticking to my guns. All right, here we go. Number three, revisiting a previous topic in this podcast, true or false, despite not producing a 100-yard rusher this season, the duo of Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks is working. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, a resounding true and yes from me. You look at the complementary style of football that they bring to the table of one another, and you look at the versatility that they present on the field. It wouldn't be unrealistic, and I've said this from day one, it wouldn't be unrealistic for me to see them on the field at the same time and use Eric Gray as a slot receiver Mm -hmm. versus a running back, but have him start in the backfield. Now, we talked a while back now, I can't remember exactly what season this was. I wouldn't be surprised if we had a diamond formation on occasion, make an appearance with this Oklahoma offense because of what those two bring to the table, including a guy like Jeremiah Hall or a Braden Willis. Sure. None of them are Trey Millard, but their physical nature of that tight end that that H back position, I guess it's not a tight end at Oklahoma, the H back position combined with the style of players that these running backs are presents you with a lot of options coming out of the backfield. If you utilize a diamond or even an inverted diamond. And then again, you've got to count account for a mobile quarterback, Spencer Rattler. So yes, they haven't eclipsed the hundred yard mark at this point in time. Yes, they're still effective. And yes, they're going to continue to be utilized as they really settle into the roles. I think they'll be more successful as they grasp a hold of that role and their specific task each and every time they step onto the field. I'm going to agree with you on this one. So I don't have any commentary to add because I agree hundred percent with you. So let's move on to, to number four, true or false. There are clear chemistry issues with Spencer Rattler and the receivers. Um, I'm going to go with false on that one. I I don't know that it's chemistry issues at all. And when I think of chemistry, I think of a connection that isn't developed. I don't think that's the case with Spencer Rattler and these receivers, largely because of the number of receivers who have caught passes. It shows that there's a level of comfortability with Mm -hmm. each and every single individual who is catching a pass, regardless of position. I think it's really game planning. And I think a lot of it is that there isn't this, this vertical threat who can stretch the field to open things up in the middle for some of these guys that we're used to seeing making plays like Marvin Mims, who you saw come under, I, he didn't come underneath, but he was definitely cutting through the middle of the field, makes the grab against Western Carolina, breaks the tackle and rattles off a 50 yard play at that point in time. You just haven't seen a lot of that. And I attribute it to, Mike Woods, not, not, not being that vertical threat, even though we really wanted him 
to be. I don't know if he's going to be the vertical threat. Clearly, he has the speed because they're using him on jet sweeps. We saw that this past week as well against Nebraska. I, I don't know what's going on, but if Oklahoma can develop that vertical threat, I think the equation completely changes. So I'm sticking with false. Once again, I'm going to agree with you. So no commentary needed from me. I'm uh, I'm I'm on board with you. So here we go. Last but not least, true or false, Rich? It is time to reevaluate the expectations for this football team. No, absolutely false on that one. This is still a good football team. I, again, want to go back to what we talked about at the beginning is it's not this high-flying offense that we've come and grown accustomed to under Lincoln Riley with top-tier quarterbacks. Because at the end of the day, Spencer Rattler is on the top shelf when it comes to quarterbacks. He has the experience, he has the athleticism, and he has the arm strength to do anything that a quarterback coach or a head coach or an offensive coordinator asks him to do. We've seen on numerous occasions just how strong his arm is, and we've seen when he gets all of the mechanics working together just how productive and efficient he can be. So when it comes to the expectations, I think it's it's been lackluster from the offensive side of the ball. The defense minus the first game, and that was the mental block. They've met my expectations. They post a shutout, limit Nebraska to 16 points. We just take those two games. They're over the past two games, giving up eight points Mm -hmm. a game. And that's something to hang your hat on. I still think this defense has room to grow. Obviously the offense has room to grow. And as this team, Matt, like you and I were saying here at the top of this podcast is they're going to continue to get better week after week after week. And if that continues to happen, In November, this is going to be a very dangerous Oklahoma team that has the potential to not only score on you with the offense, but also score on you with the defense. Very true. Very true. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of True or False. Rich is back asking questions in preparation for West Virginia this week. Rich, let's talk about, uh, as we close out the podcast, let's, let's just kind of go through the Big 12 rundown. I know we're over our time limit here, not that we have anybody telling us that we got to record for a certain amount of time, but we'd like to try to stay close to an hour, and we never do that. But we got Oklahoma 23-16 to over the uh, Nebraska Cornhuskers. Iowa State just just ran rough shot over UNLV, 48-3, to best game of the season for the Cyclones. Coincidentally, their first road game of the season – You know, you got to wonder now, are things clicking for the Cyclones? Is is this because this was closer to the version that we thought that we were going to see out of them. Now they've got to go play at Baylor to open up conference play. But uh, you feel at least I do a little bit better about the Cyclones and their potential as being a a factor here uh, in the Big 12 after seeing this game. Man, uh, it's a hard game for me to assess. Iowa State, we talked about the potential that exists on that roster with a head coach like Matt Campbell, who is very much so defensive-minded. But you're looking at a UNLV team that's that's 0-3 on the mm-hmm. season after that loss to Iowa State. There's not a lot that I think you can, you can take from that game. Sure, there are certain things if you are keying in and you're watching them every week. But for me, I'm not doing that with Iowa State. And I, I'm saying the verdict's still out on them. Okay, uh, fair enough. Uh, but I, I think Western Iowa, UNLV, I don't think there's a lot of a lot of degrees of separation there. And the fact that you're playing on the road in Vegas, to me, that was an impressive win. By the way, Xavier Hutchinson, 10 catches for 133 yards in that game. Uh, West Virginia, the next team to come to Norman, the Mountaineers with a huge win over number yeah. 15, Virginia Tech, 27-21. 
I did say this on the podcast Thursday. I expected the Mountaineers to win this game. And uh, they actually, they only scored three points in the second half, but still uh, at one point they had a 24 to seven lead over 15th ranked Virginia Tech. This is going to be a fun game this coming weekend in Norman. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Virginia Tech comes in. Who did they get the win over? Um, was it the opening week of yeah, play? They did beat, they beat Carolina? They beat North Carolina, yeah. Yeah, th- so they beat North Carolina, which I thought was going to be a pretty decent team in the ACC. Of course, expectations soared for them. I think they they come crashing back down to reality after that West Virginia game. West Virginia, as you mentioned, Matt, taking that six-point win over Virginia Tech. I, I don't really know where West Virginia stands. Um, they seem to be a mixed bag at this point in the season because I definitely didn't expect them to lose when they lost, and I didn't expect them to beat Virginia Tech. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I, I I did have them uh, losing to Maryland in that I, opener. You're right. So, you're um, right. I'd forgotten. Okay, so Kansas State, Will Howard steps up and silences the critics for just a little bit. 21 on it. 21 unanswered points in the fourth quarter. Kansas State gives Nevada the first loss of the season. Mm-hmm. Again, we're talking about the Nevada Wolfpack. Not a Big 12 caliber team, but but when you're talking about Will Howard and Kansas State, this they needed this win. And Will Howard, I think, above anybody else, needed this win as they as the Wildcats get ready to, to, to navigate the Big 12 waters because we saw this team just tank. We saw them absolutely mm-hmm. tank. And, and if you want to know how people think about Kansas State – they're they're going into Stillwater next weekend as underdogs against an Oklahoma State team that has well underperformed through three games this season. But truth be told, uh, big win for for Kansas State, and they find themselves in the top twenty five this week. Yeah, even even though Kansas was playing in man, Kansas State was playing in Manhattan. This was not a game that I thought they were capable of winning, and it's largely because of how anemic the offense became after they lost Skylar Thompson last season. This season, they lose him. The expectation was set. This was a one-point spread in favor of Nevada, Kansas State being the underdogs despite playing in front of a home crowd. They come out and put nearly 300 yards up on the ground using four, well, really three different rushers. Granted, Deuce Vaughn is going to be the star of this team without Skylar Thompson available. Available. Will he be available? We don't still have we still don't have an answer to that question as they're keeping it week to week. You're yeah, shaking gonna, your head I'm no. Just, I saw the injury. I don't I don't think it's gonna be available anytime. You're soon. saying no. Um, but Matt, this is this is a team again that we talk about brings a brand of physical football. Right. And if you can't match that physicality, they're going to do exactly what they did to Nevada and they're gonna run clock, they're gonna chew up the clock, and they're gonna gain yards on the ground and eventually get to the end zone. Right. Yeah, but I just 21 points in the fourth quarter for Kansas State. It's pretty impressive. Um, <laughs> Baylor makes Kansas wish there was a mercy rule in Big 12 football. 45-7, to mm-hmm. seven, the, the Bears just throttled the Jayhawks. Rich, I, I, I think to me this solidifies nothing about Baylor other than the fact that they're 3-0. and What it does solidify for me is that Kansas has finished winning football games this season. Are, is Baylor better than Coastal Carolina? No. I mean, they have a common opponent. They do, they do, but still, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough said. All right, Texas Tech fifty-four to twenty-one over Florida International. Matt Wells three and zero. How big did mm-hmm. he need? How big did he need to not the win over Florida International, but how how big did he need the three and zero start before conference play? 
I think it's a good look for Texas Tech. I think it's a good look for Matt Wells, who really is coaching for his job this season. The ability to eclipse the half-century mark in terms of, of point production, 28 points in the second quarter. There's a little bit of momentum there for Texas Tech and Matt Wells, Matt, but once they enter conference play, I do think that, that the equation changes pretty drastically and pretty quickly for them. The verdict's still out for whether Matt Wells will keep his job for another season, but 3-0 has him feeling a little bit of comfort, and I don't know if that's a good thing. 28 points for the Red Raiders in the second quarter. They will go to Austin, Texas to take on Casey Thompson and the Texas Longhorns, 58 to nothing over Rice. Uh, this was a game that we predicted should have been a blowout for Texas. I said everyone's going to jump on the Casey Thompson train now, um, but um, I, I'm not, my opinion hasn't changed from Arkansas to, to this game uh, just because you beat an 0 3 Rice team 58 to nothing. I do, I do, I do like Casey Thompson, you know, because of the Oklahoma ties here. Bijan Robinson, uh, 127 rushing yards, three touchdowns. But uh, that's going to be interesting next weekend in Austin, Texas Tech, and Texas. Finally, uh, the wrapping up the Big 12 weekend, Oklahoma State. Rich, I am going to say this it was a terrible football game. <clears throat> but Oklahoma State comes out of Boise 21-20, 3-0 on the season, scoreless second half for both teams. It was a mm-hmm. terrible football game to stay <laughs> up and watch. But that was a big win for Mike Gundy. That that he is the most deceptive 3-0 of the entire Big 12, in my opinion. Uh, that was a huge win for him, though, as they come home now undefeated to get ready to play an undefeated Kansas State team to start conference play. They needed this win. They found their running back in Jalen Warren, 32 carries, 218 yards. It looks like a, they may have fixed that part of their offense. But, Rich, I don't know if you watched this or not, but I'm talking like with a minute left in the second half, Oklahoma State had seven passing yards. Seven through the two quarters of football. They've lost Trey Sterling for the season. Um, I, I just I feel like every week I prognosticate gloom and doom for Oklahoma State. And one of these times it's going to happen, but you got to give Mike Gundy credit for winning ugly and avoiding catastrophe through three weeks of football. I'm going to say this about the game, Matt, is when Boise State hosts any team, doesn't matter what conference they're from. I'm not even sure that Boise State is on the field because that blue on blue literally destroys my eyes. I heard there were a couple of mishaps though that were late in the game that could have afforded Penn, uh, Boise State to secure a win. Just didn't yep. the cards didn't fall in their favor. So Oklahoma State really escapes with that win, in my opinion, and from what I what I've heard. But no, I, I didn't watch that one. Remember my three channels? They just they don't pick those up. So I'm sorry. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. You can find us on the internet every day, heartland-sports.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Let us know how you would answer the true or false questions, where you agree, where you disagree. Have a fantastic work week. Boomer Sooner, everybody.